going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. I want to talk about an issue that a few years back was dominating the headlines here in Calgary when it came to police interaction with those who are dealing with either a drug addiction, a mental health issue, and whether or not enough was being done to de-escalate situations. I want to bring in Arthur Gallant. He's a mental health advocate, wrote a great column in Huffington Post, and I wanted to bring him on to talk about his experience. Hello, Arthur. Hello, Angela, and hello, Calgary. Arthur, you call yourself a mental health advocate. Give me a little bit of your background. Um, So I'm 28 years old. Oh, my God, where does the time go? Um, And I was born to um, a parent with mental illness, and um, I myself was um, was diagnosed with mental illness when I was uh, 13 years old, Um, you know, and and I'm still actually uh, actively... uh, in treatment uh, for my for my mental illness, and I really don't know how it sort of happened. Um, but about ten years ago, I um, you know I found myself uh, you know um, talking publicly about my mental illness and you know the struggles I face. Um, I was part of uh, the Faces of Mental Illness campaign, which is sponsored by Bell Let's Talk, and you know got to meet the Governor General, uh, the former Governor General rather, and you know had dinner at Rideau Hall. Um, and I and I think you know. Um, what sort of what my appeal is to a lot of people is because I'm actively in treatment uh, and I just, and I speak to people and, and, you know, so that's really how I got involved where, you know, really started um, where I was a client of a mental health organization where I, you know, put my hands up in the air and said, listen, you guys aren't doing things right. And they sort of said, you know, how do you think we can be doing better? And it just, it sort of evolved from, from meeting mental health executives, uh, you know, to speaking publicly, to speaking to the media. And I find uh, my outlet through, through HuffPost uh, has been, a, you know, it's, it not only has it been therapeutic for me, um, I think it's given a lot of people things to think about. And it's launched as um, a discussion worldwide. I know the, the University of Arkansas, they've actually quoted one, uh, one of my blogs. I found out there's a book on substance abuse and mental health that cited my blog um, as a resource um, over in the UK. So it's, it's been a, a pretty amazing journey so far. Well, I think, Arthur, the, the biggest thing you did was just to share your story because you probably have met enough people struggling with mental illness that they, that they don't want to talk about it because society doesn't look on them empathetically. No, absolutely not. Um, there, there's a lot of stigma uh, surrounding mental illness and you know a lot of people you know call me brave and say you know you're you know you're taking a lot of risks by doing what you're doing um, but I think part of it is just I have the personality where or when I see something and I think it's wrong um, I call people out on it uh, you know on a variety of issues and, and you know there's a lot of people including my own family doctor who say to me you know you really need to stop the blogging you really need to stop talking about your mental health it's not good for you and you know I sort of you know turn the tables back to people and say but why isn't it good well that's not something you should be talking about it's it's private and confidential information so i think if we sort of you know you know shatter the stigma and you know sort of break the ceiling that it's not something that we should be talking about um and rather encourage people to be talking about it openly and honestly that's really what's going to eliminate the stigma around mental illness and i think we're starting to see that happen 
I find it interesting that your doctor or your family would say you should stop blogging. And I know social media can be hard on anyone's overall mental health. But were they just concerned that you were sharing too much and what that could do to you? I think what my doctor is concerned about is the um, how it could hurt me professionally. Um, you know, it, you know, if employers, uh, you know, get access to the information that you know it, it, it could have a negative impact on that, or you know, hmm. landlords or anything where I might have to apply for something. Uh, you know, people could you know Google me, and you know, and actually, if you do Google me, the first thing that comes up is you know mental health but you know what you know i'm really not ashamed of it and if anything i'm ashamed of people who advise me not to do it well the reason i wanted to talk to you arthur as you mentioned in huffingtonpost.ca a good column and the whole idea of your your comment is police aren't doing enough to protect people with mental illnesses what has been your experience someone living with um, mental illness and your connection or your association with police my association and my experience with the police, to be honest with you, um, has been a fairly negative one. Uh, you know, I first came into contact with the police and, and um, first apprehended under Ontario's Mental Health Act uh, uh, back in 2003 when I was 13. And, uh, you know, I find that the police um, in generally, they're, they're aggressive. Um, they come with a lot of attitude. And I really think what, what that boils down to um, is they... they they don't know enough about mental illness. It, it's really a lack of education. And I think that, you know, each province's mental health act, and, you know, before coming on the air today, I, I quickly, you know, skimmed Alberta's mental health act, is that it is forced upon the police that they have to deal with people with mental illness, and they really don't have a lot of training. Mm. And so I think what the police are trained to do is they're trained to go into a situation that they're unfamiliar with. They're, they're trained to go in and de-escalate a situation and to react as quickly as possible. And I think you and I would both agree that someone with mental illness who is in crisis, they need a more therapeutic approach. They need someone to sort of talk things through with them. And I think if you sort of have the police, you know, you know, arriving on scene and a person is in crisis and they you know they barge in they apprehend the person and bring them to hospital that you know i i you know the it just it upsets the person in crisis even more and their reaction to the police then goes on to further you know how the police are going to decide to respond whether it's using handcuffs uh you know, or using force with the person um or even just their their tone of voice and their attitude and rather you know you know, using handcuffs or using force or, or giving attitude, I think, you know, it would be better off if the police say, you know what, let's just sit down for a moment and let's talk. But they're just, they're so, you know, quick to react. And I don't necessarily, um, you know, blame the police for that. I think it's how they're embedded um, in terms of their training. And, you know, they, they use that approach in everything else that they do. So it's very hard for them to react differently and sort of differentiate between maybe apprehending someone who um, who's suspected of doing a criminal act versus someone, um, you know, who's mentally ill and, and, um, and might need treatment. So I don't have a very good um, perception of the police i'm definitely uh you know open to changing that um i've tried you know i've I've tried various times to launch a dialogue um with the police certainly if if your listeners read my blog uh i was quite impressed um how hamilton police um responded to my concerns about sort of leaving the the voice of people with mental illness out of their survey and rectifying it within 24 hours but i mean my my dialogue with the police 
and various police forces throughout Ontario has been happening, uh, you know, for 15 years. And this is uh, the, the, the quickest I've seen them react. And I think it, it just goes to show um, that, that times are changing. You know, as we've, we've heard time and time again, there's a lot of uh, police officers themselves dealing with mental illness. And, and because of sort of the, the, the corporate culture within police, it's very difficult and very terrifying for officers, um, you know, to speak out. You know, here in Hamilton, Ontario, a few years ago, we actually had a had an officer shoot and kill himself with a service revolver. And you know what? We heard about it on the news, and that was sort of, you know, the, the last we've heard of it. So I think if, if police officers are, are more encouraged to deal with their own mental health, and not just police officers, you know, all sort of, um, you know, frontline responders, whether it be firefighters and paramedics and whatnot, I think if they can learn to, to address their own mental health issues or their own mental illnesses and be encouraged to talk about them and get treatment for it, I think ultimately it would have... A much better effect in how they they treat with people they respond to with similar issues. Well, Arthur, I'm glad you started the conversation simply because you are someone living with uh, mental illness and you know how your interactions have been and what that means then for future interactions with police and how things have to change. Uh, I want to thank you because um, it's great that you're spreading the word on that and thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me on. Arthur Gallant, he is a mental health advocate. Now, what I want to do is because as we hear from Arthur and this happened a few years back, remember at the beginning of the opioid epidemic that we had a number of police interactions with people who either were struggling with mental health or actually drug addicts. There was some fatal interactions as well. After the break, I want to go back to it was August of 2016 that I talked with two members of PACT, the police and crisis team here in Calgary, because I just wanted to remind you what CPS has been doing for a number of years in trying to address this relationship that has been very rocky in the past when it comes to what an officer is supposed to do when they have to respond to a crisis and how things are changing. 403-974-8255. Always love to have your feedback. We are back after this. Few texters reminding me, of course, of Anthony Heffernan, and that was back in 2015 when young Anthony Heffernan was high on drugs in a hotel room, and he ended up dying at the hands of police who came to that scene. They went on after the hotel called and said someone is holed up in a room. And it was, it almost seemed that was the beginning of a number of other incidents, whether tragically fatal or ending in serious injuries, that the Calgary Police Service was put under the spotlight as to their interaction with those dealing with mental health issues, drug addictions. And um, it was August of 2016, so we are going back a bit. But I had a chance to talk with Constable McGill Lay from the Calgary Police Service and Stephan McWana, a registered nurse with Alberta Health Service. They are part of PACT, Police and Crisis Team. I almost wish crisis wasn't in that word, but the idea of having someone with a background in either the healthcare system, whether it be social workers or nurses, uh, paired up with a police officer. So I just wanted to play a little bit of that conversation just to remind Calgarians what is in effect here in Calgary. 
You are a team. Miguel, take me back to when your partnership began. Well, the team formed back in uh, January of 2010, and Stefan and myself became partners uh, back in June of 2010. So we've been working with each other for about six years now. Stefan, for someone who says, what is PACT? What is a police and crisis team? Uh, What's your explanation? Okay, PACT is a partnership between Alberta Health Services and the Calgary Police Service. So my function uh, is as a mental health clinician. As you mentioned, my background is a registered nurse. Um, And what we do is we respond to mental health-related calls throughout the city that require a police presence. Give me an example of that, Miguel. I'm just wondering, is this citizens calling PACT? Is this other officers saying, we need Miguel and Stefan here? Well, Angela, it's, uh, we get our referrals come from officers, the public, and other services that are involved in mental health uh, already. Primarily, uh, most of our referrals will come from um, regular street officers who are dealing with individuals that have complex mental health histories, and they don't aren't sure what to do with them, so they refer to us. Give me an idea, an example. I don't need a specific case, but how you would respond and maybe a situation that you have had to attend to. We're an outreach team, uh, and we're mobile within the city of Calgary. It could be any location. Oftentimes, we uh, come to a client's primary address, um, whether it be a home or whether it be one of our shelters. It could also be a doctor's office or one of our clinics. Um, so we, we meet with the patient or the identified client where they are. Um, now, one of the first things we're trying to do is quickly engage them, build rapport, build trust. Uh, my function is I'm completing a, a mental health assessment uh, as part of the crisis intervention that we're doing. Um, and once we identify the needs of that person, uh, we're trying to connect them with uh, resources within Alberta Health Services or within the police department or other community agencies that um, might be uh, providing counseling services, housing services, financial services, that type of thing. Constable, lay your role then, because if, let's say in the example of another officer calling PACT and saying, I need some help here, I'm dealing with someone who has a mental health issue. So would it be enough that Stefan as a mental health expert or the registered nurse would come? Give me your role in a situation like that. Well, my role primarily is to deal with uh, the law side of it, uh, the criminal code and the Mental Health Act. So under the Mental Health Act, an officer and or a doctor um, are the only persons, uh, and a judge, I guess, are the only persons empowered to apprehend a person under the Mental Health Act. And that looks like just, you know, identifying the individual clients uh, that are in distress or or a danger to themselves or others or deteriorating. Uh, There's a threshold that has to be met. And if that threshold is met, then under the Mental Health Act, an officer has um, the ability to apprehend the person and transport them to hospital. So uh, in certain cases, a lot of the officers on the street just don't have enough background information. They're just dealing with those individuals at the moment. We have the luxury because we're not a primary response team. We're a secondary response team. So they'll give us a call. Uh, Within our partnership, we have a um, memorandum of understanding where we can share information back and forth through our database. So we have a, a better picture when we attend those calls or give consultation to those officers. 
just a portion of my conversation. Now, that was from uh, almost a year and a half ago, and we didn't have a chance to reach out to Constable Lay and Stefan Makwana. They, I, I'm hoping they're still a partner, still team. Um, they've been teammates since 2010 when PACT, or the Police and Crisis Team, was formed. But that whole idea of having two people, and I can't remember if the police officer shows up in his uniform or not, his or her uniform. I would almost hope, and I, I seem to remember that they, they were more in civilian clothes. And the only reason I say that is when you hear stories from Arthur before the break, if you've already had an interaction with a police service and you associate that uniform with violence or handcuffs or I'm being put away, then I think that would escalate the situation as as opposed to de-escalating it. So uh, 403-974-8255, I do have a couple of minutes here. Just the idea that we talked about it so much in 2016, 2015, 2016. I'm, I'm pleased to report that we don't have those headlines like we did back then. Do you think that we're getting a better relationship, especially when it comes to police and those dealing with mental health issues or drug addictions? Let me just get at least uh, one call in here. Hi, Eric. Hey, Angela, you know what? I, I have to tell you, I have no problem if a police officer is involved in a civilian shooting defending themselves. That's number one. And I have a real issue with the story I read the other day about the number of uh, criminals, especially involved in car theft and burglary and what have you, that are going through this revolving door when the police are spending a lot of resources bringing them in. The courts turn them around. And I'm also very disappointed when I read stories of police officers um, being attacked, you know, trying to stop a stolen vehicle and a fellow tries to drive over them. I'm really of the opinion now that the police have been pinned down by the likes of Mayor Nancy and others who have said, well, we don't want another headline of a civilian shooting, and that is absolute nonsense. Yeah, I You know, if a policeman's yeah. life is in, at risk, they should be pulling their firearm, and they should shoot that fellow. Yeah. And I would love a CPS officer. Hold in. Don't give your name, but tell us. Has the mayor been putting pressure on CPS to, to find other ways to deal with these criminals? And I really think this this tactic, this uh, this mayor we have, is uh, is definitely coddling criminals. Mm, okay. Well, Eric, that's your opinion. And, and I wanted to speak, I would agree that I would not want to see a police officer's life on the line for, from a, a criminal. But what I want to talk about, though, is the ability for police to work as a team to recognize the difference between someone who is stealing a car and someone who is high on drugs and there's a call because there's a disturbance so that you can look at that situation and not show up with guns a-blazing. So, but Eric, I completely agreed. I think most Calgarians would say they don't want officers to put their life on the line just so that the criminal goes... Uh, off scot-free. And I, I haven't read any quotes from Mayor Nancy that he doesn't want to see another civilian shooting. I've, I think that would make sense, but I don't know if there's the link then between coddling the criminals.